0: Oh, Danny, it's been so long since we've talked. Uh, actually, about 15 minutes or so here. <laughs> so let's uh, get to it. We're going to go in reverse alph- alphabetical order here, starting with the Indiana Pacers. Their fundamentals, please, sir.
2: The Pacers are now 40-20, and 9-5 since the last time we covered them in the fifteen and 60 They are fifth, a robust fifth in the league in net rating, 15th in offense, strong second in defense. 538 projects them to win 50 games which would be 5th in the Eastern Conference. They are going to make the playoffs. And we'll start with a little bit of news from Jay Michael. Tyreek Evans, during the All-Star break, got another PRP injection in his knee. There's nothing wrong with it, but it was a precaution so he can finish the season strong. We'll keep an eye on that. Tyreek's knee has been a lingering issue this season though it is good that this was done you know just as a precaution
0: this is a good one here to start with from jw who's the best potential first round matchup for indiana out of the big four in the east
2: my first thought was philly just because they're the least established and I could also see the front court combination. Not like they'll beast Joel Embiid, but just if they can pull him away from the basket, then that could open up some some of the underbelly of Philly's defense. Though they can they have some guys that can help and recover and all that kind of stuff. I think that's probably their best matchup, though the Sixers could look a whole lot better a month from now than they do at this moment. And probably the the Celtics second, just because I think the Bucks and the Raptors are the two best teams in this conference as of right now. Do you how what order would you have it
0: yeah, I mean, I think you just have to look at the quality of team with the Raptors and Bucks being a cut above. I really don't like the way that Indiana matches up with the Bucks. I mean, they did have that one game where they held Giannis to like 12 points or something, but my recollection is that Milwaukee's kind of handled them a little. And they just don't really have the talent that the Bucks do. I agree with you that I think it's Philly. I really like Corey Joseph as a matchup on J.J. Redick, chasing him around screens. I think that Sabonis can really feast against some of those limited Sixers backup bigs. Thad Young is a really nice matchup for Ben Simmons. He's not going to get physically overwhelmed by Simmons. Wes Matthews has pretty good size. He's not going to get overwhelmed by either Butler or Harris, whoever they decide to put him on. Same thing again with Bogdanovich, who might be slow, but he's got the size to handle those guys in the post. And then they've even got... O'Quinn as a solid third center in case Embiid gets some of their guys into foul trouble I don't love the Turner and Embiid matchup I think Embiid can overwhelm Turner a little bit physically but I do like Turner on the other end stretching Embiid out you know we've seen him struggle with some of these stretch bigs so Certainly, you wouldn't favor Philly against any of those teams. i sorry, favor Indiana against any of those teams. But Philly, to me, seems like a, easily the best matchup. Whereas, I, and with Embiid, that's not going to really cause as many problems. Philly, or it's not going to cause many problems because you can play a conventional pick and roll defense style against they don't have great shooting at the big positions and the Pacers have made a living of not switching getting around screens avoiding size mismatches they can deal with that Reddick handoff game maybe better than anyone especially if they're gonna play Joseph
2: question from Tukiduki should Thaddeus Young get more credit for the Pacers defensive performance seems like Miles Turner is getting much more buzz I do think Thaddeus Young does not get enough credit but I do not think Thaddeus Young deserves more credit than Miles Turner for what they have done I think you know. Just with the role that centers play in the league, he's been incredibly important. Also, not that it's you know a huge strength now, but they have been better as a defensive rebounding team this year than in prior years. And then considering how well they've done in terms of opponent effective field goal percentage and not fouling as much, I think those do go more to to Miles Turner. And also, I think getting solid defensive minutes from. Sabonis has really helped their overall numbers. That's part of why they're second in the East. But I agree that Thaddeus Young does deserve meaningful credit. He has been an important part of their success.
0: Yeah, he's going to get serious all defense consideration from me. Do the Nets have a realistic chance of winning a playoff series against the Pacers? Probably not because they're unlikely to match up <laughs> unless the Pacers maintain the three seed, which it seems unlikely. Possible, but but unlikely. So that's one reason why they're not. I mean, LaVert, if he can continue to get back and forth, we'll talk a little bit more about him later on. I do like D'Angelo Russell more against the Pacers than some other teams because the Pacers are not going to switch. And Russell it can be very effective carving up conventional pick and roll defense. Not as good when you go to switching. They're going to get Dinwiddie back as well. So the Nets do have... Some weapons, and they are maybe a potential trendy upset pick because they bomb a lot of threes. They have some guys who can get pretty hot. The Nets aren't great on defense, but the Pacers aren't going to be a great offensive team. You know, the the Pacers aren't going to just run away and hide from them offensively. So, I do think that matchup could be a little more favorable for Brooklyn than some would say. But obviously, I don't think it's going to happen. Number one, and number two, you know, the Pacers would still be significant favorites. But it wouldn't—it wouldn't be completely out of the realm of possibility as well uh one more here how much do you think Boyan bogdanovich and thad young will command in free agency let's talk about it again just in terms of guaranteed money
2: both players that well actually i was gonna say have, have been underrated by the market but bogdanovich got paid it was just in a different he, he was
0: overrated by the yeah. market in our opinion and we turned out to be incorrect on that
2: that is that's right and and thaddeus young it's been a little while since he he was wait i'm trying to think of no he was a free agent more recently i was thinking he was still on that long contract cool. but no he's not um well,
0: yeah no no i mean he he could have opted out and, and did wisely did not but no i mean he signed that contract with what was it, it was with brooklyn right the four-year i believe so it was yeah like a, a little over 50 million uh that contract that he signed with brooklyn after he got traded for minnesota
2: yeah so you have okay so this right now is thaddeus young's age 30 season this is bogdanovich's age 29 so both those guys will be in their early 30s next year both have different degrees of positional scarcity depending on how you want to define it i mean i think of thad young as a straight forward and bogdanovich as more of a three than anything, though he's not that, you know, three that you sick on LeBron James, even though they did that for most of the playoff series. Uh, I'm going to say $40 million for Bogdan... And Boyan, boy, boy on. on Oh, yeah, that's right. I was thinking, I was thinking of the other Bogdanovich. And I'm gonna go a parallel 50 million for Thaddeus Young, even though he's better. I, I think he deserves more than that. It might be at an over on a shorter term deal,
0: man. I mean, I just my internal radar on this is kind of just off now. Oh, yeah, we've had so many fluctuations. I mean, I'm trying to sort of pretend that this is the summer of 2017, but we really need to do the mock off season, I think, to get a great feeling out. It. For reference, I, I and our free agent rankings, we post these pretty regularly on our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/JungleLarue. I've got Thaddeus Young as my number four power forward behind Tobias Harris, Nikola Miritich, and Paul milsap Ranking subject to change, obviously, with how everyone plays the rest of the year. And then I've got Boyan as my number seven small forward. He'll be 30 this offseason, as you mentioned. Th- uh, Thaddeus Young will be 31. So yeah, I mean, I think something in the 30 to 50. $50 million guaranteed range for those guys on three-year contracts is about what i'd be expecting but again you know i think there's a lot of variability and i think there's also a lot of variability in how the rest of the league sees those guys but it does seem like the pacers would be the most likely landing spot for both they've both seen some success there i think the pacers are not huge believers in whether they're going to be in free agency and depending on how the rest of the year goes how oladipo's recovery is going you could see them just being brought back there uh, both parties seem to have benefited pretty well well okay we got detroit up next detroit maybe not a team that you would have people over to watch a game but when you do have people over to watch a game sonos home theater is the way to go you can feel like you're at the game with 5.1 surround on and it also plays music as well that's how we use it a lot when we have people over if, if someone has the sonos app they can get right into your system if they're only if you're on your Wi-Fi, of course, and play music on your Sonos. You can enjoy hands-free control of that system with Sonos One, which blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, so you can use your voice to control music, play podcasts, and more. You just ask it to do it, and it will. I really enjoy having this Sonos home theater. I can hear the coaches yelling at the players a little bit more, which is always nice to hear. Just hope for Dave Yeager's sake that uh, I'm not watching one of his games when he's yelling at his players for uh, taking good shots down six at the end of games so the way to get started with sonos is at sonos.com go there you can learn more order your sonos system that's s-o-n-o-s sonos.com all right the detroit pistons sit at 28 and 30 a robust eight and five since the last 15 and 60 negative 0.8 net rating is 20th in the nba 22nd on offense it's actually up a little bit from where it's been 10th on defense i think that's actually very impressive to be 10th with this roster that you don't think of as possessing a ton of defensive stalwarts first question from anonymous what are the chances Andre Drummond opts out of his player option for $28.7 twenty twenty summer the summer of 2020, we'll say? God, that's going to be such an annoyance to have to talk about that season. What do you think, Danny?
2: Whew. I mean, knowing what we know right now, I think that Drummond will not i mean i think that will be more money than i would expect on an annual value i mean the center position is so loaded we could see where he looks i you know where he is on both ends of the floor at that juncture but generally i mean somebody as young as as he is
0: yeah not a guy you expect to age particularly well i think right that that what i'm what
2: i'm thinking here is actually maybe something similar to harrison barnes not necessarily saying it would happen with Detroit specifically, but the idea that he takes a smaller annual value to lock in a much longer contract—I could see that sort of thing happening. And Drummond will be an awesome test case. We'll have a couple others over the next couple years of. Where the league is drawing the line in terms of centers, I mean, it was crystallizing for me back when we did the center rankings last season about where it was somewhere between like 12 and 14 of like, oh, I really wouldn't pay anybody behind this number. And so then you have two identifying questions. One is... Drummond in that group and two, do other executives do executives see it the way that we see it? And I think they probably draw a deeper line than we do. But I mean, even look at the contracts that Miles Turner, Clay Capella, and those guys were dealing with restricted free agency, but I mean Nurkic, those guys didn't make a ton of money.
0: Yeah, those guys are better than Drummond, in my opinion. This point of the, although I think Turner at the time he agreed to that contract, and that was an extension too. So I mean it's a little different than restricted free agency. You're paying for or you're taking a discount for some certainty if you're the player there but And we thought actually the Pacers paid a little bit too much there. I think that's, we're we're looking wrong about that at this point. I think it's very unlikely he opts out. And we talk about this a lot, this idea of, okay, you could opt out and then have an arrangement with the team to get a longer contract for a lower annual value. I can't think of that many circumstances in which that has occurred. One was Pau Gasol, but it seemed pretty clear that that was one where he was going to take, if they got a free agent, he was going to take a lot less and then that didn't happen. So they had to kind of take care of him to get that flexibility. But yeah, there are not Paul Millsap will be an interesting one too with the option on the team side this year I think actually when it's a team option that maybe it's more realistic to happen when it's a player option it's just too many variables to really come to an agreement ahead of time on what you're going to opt into because he could just get a better offer in free agency. No agent wants to go into free agency and then have other teams come calling, be like, "Ah, oh, no, actually, we already have this deal with uh, with the incumbent team for less." So it's just harder to get an idea of what the guy's worth beforehand and what he thinks he's worth. And I think there's just, and then there's just the whole trust factor as well. There's just a few too many variables. I can only think of a few instances where that's really has ever come to fruition with the guy opting out and then getting a lower value for a, a longer salary um does reggie jackson have any trade value next year as an expiring deal says a fish named tony i don't think so because expiring contracts would be quite plentiful because you got all those sour 16s coming off the books and plenty of teams are looking to have a lot of cap space anyway so both in terms of finding a player who's an expiring contract that's not that difficult and so many teams are gonna have cap space already it's not like so many are gonna be like oh we gotta get cap space now and it's a crappy free agent market as well so who are you lining up your money for anyway so all those factors mean unlikely that expiring contracts would have a ton of value
2: negative value is a kind of trade value i i, I think reggie will be making he i think it's a negative value contract after after this season and what you were getting at but i think is i want to i want to put a finer point on it is that the pistons using jackson as a vessel for taking on longer term contracts that gets into a whole nother issue in terms of how their team's finances is structured yeah if Andre Drummond opts out it gets a little bit cleaner but they're still playing Blake Griffin for a bunch of years and I think that you know maybe the way you do that is to lower the 2019-20 burden in exchange for a higher for a higher contract obligation the following year but I just don't see that happening especially because even though Reggie Jackson is an imperfect player it will not be easy for the Pistons to replace him if they want to go with something point guardy Now you could lean in a little bit and... And focus more on Blake Griffin shot creation and get more limited shooters. But I think you always want at least one other guy that can handle the ball on the floor.
0: All right, you want to do that one quickly about their chances of getting the sixth seed?
2: Yeah, there's a question. Yeah, from Gage Br- Bridgeford. This was probably I, th- I think of when the, when the questions went out It was asked before they beat the Heat, and I think they had one, the the Hawks win might have been after that as well. They're actually tied with the Nets in the loss column right now. The Nets do have a few more logged wins and the Nets have a slightly better net rating, but really the margin is more about uh, the Nets being better in close games so far. Detroit can get there. I like Brooklyn's talent better. And it's also though worth noting that Detroit has an easier schedule and they've been pretty even, even since new year's when the, the Nets have a better record, but that's again, due to close games. So I think they absolutely can. I do not expect it. I think, I think that they'll end up seventh as of right now. I mean, those teams are all really close. I I cracked up because 538's current projections do not have any ties in the entire Eastern Conference, but there's just this big clump now with the Pistons, the Nets, the Magic, the Hornets, and the Heat, where they're all like basically a game apart.
0: Yeah, what it's going to come down to, I think, is how many of the Nets' opponents down the end are resting. You've talked about this going back very early in the season, about how difficult the Nets' closing schedule is, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in their section. But right now, actually, five. 38 has the Pistons projected to finish a game ahead of the Nets in that 6th seat at 40 and 42. They got the Nets at 39 and 43. Let's talk a little Cleveland Cavaliers here at 14 and 46, but not terrible. They've actually inching back to respectability now at 5 and 8 since the last 15 and 60. Still a 30th overall in net rating, but 25th in offense and 30th in defense, but not as atrocious as they had been 117 on defense. Like third down in the one. 19 at one point they project for 19 wins 14th in the conference will not be making the playoffs and with kevin love back they, they've got a little bit more but this is for manny fresh can you guys finally give your full evaluation of colin sexton that you've been putting off and yes Yes, we can. Do you want to just give me your overall impressions of him and and what you see as his most likely outcome at this point before I get into the weeds a little bit more on him?
2: Sure. The most important thing for a primary ball handler to do is be able to generate good shots for himself, his teammates, or both. And I do not particularly trust Colin Sexton to either create or, you know, maximize those opportunities in either one of those capacities. Now he'll take a lot of shots to be damn sure, but I don't think that, you know, he's the engine for a successful offense and another, you know, he's another example. We've seen this a little bit in the league the last couple of years of a guy who good kid tries hard, but is awful at defense. And I think he'll be better than he has been so far, but he was bad at... Alabama too so my instinct is that the offensive part is a far bigger issue you know you can deal with bad defense if the offense is good enough especially at the point guard position but I don't see the tools in a most likely scenario there are certainly ceiling scenarios but in the, in the most likely one where he is good enough to run a successful offense.
0: Let's start with the defense. The numbers there are atrocious. Dead ass last in RPM among point guards, negative 4.26 on defense, negative 6.24 overall RPM. PIPM little better negative 4.88 negative 2.8 on D never gets steals or blocks he's useless as a help defender he'll pressure the ball occasionally but that's more showy than really useful rookie point guards are almost always bad on defense but he hasn't really flashed any kind of instincts on that end had really low steal rate as well at Alabama so more likely than not is going to be a substantial negative on the defensive end doesn't really have the size to guard anything but the one maybe he could get strong enough where he could hold up a little bit on switches against bigger wings in the post he has flashed at times the ability to show a little bit more intensity like most guys not amazing getting over screens on the ball either on offense i'll start with what i think is the most encouraging thing 39.5 percent from three 3.3 attempts for 36 minutes it's not incredibly low like that's been trending upward the mid-range jumper has been trending down a little bit he's at 37 percent now which is not great he has spent up the release a little bit that release is not as quick from three he does have somewhat of a mechanical looking jump shot it's not he doesn't shoot an easy ball from three as mike schmitz would say although uh, perhaps he wouldn't say that anymore that's uh, a couple years ago phrase du jour so uh i apologize mike if that's uh, not what you'd call it anymore but i don't see him as being a huge threat anytime soon shooting the ball off the pick and roll from three but shoots it really well from the free throw line i think he could become a very capable mid-range jump shooter in time he's got above average quickness if not outstanding quickness above average leaping ability and as I mentioned he sped up that shot a little bit so I think that could be a weapon for him the biggest problem I think there's two parts of this is just decision making overall and it's kind of odd that I would say that for a guy who actually has a pretty low turnover rate for a rookie point guard he's right around the league average about 13 percent and you might say oh that's actually a pretty good thing but that stems from a couple of things number one a lot of the way in which rookie point guards get a lot better is is they stop turning it over as much. So he doesn't really have that easy way to improve his game, which you know has been one of the worst players in the NBA this year overall in terms of his efficiency, even on offense. And then, yeah, he's not turning it over, but the decision-making both of when to pass and when to shoot and when to drive is really not there, despite the fact that he's not turning it over that much. However, a lot of his drives and forays to the baskets, like they're not logged as turnovers, but they might as well be turnover because he's just jumping into four people at the rim and he can, i think he can improve his finishing but a lot of his attempted finishes are just kind of no hopers at the rim when he could be making a pass he could be more under control draw the defense get guys open instead he's just throwing up these no hope shots so you might say oh man he's finishing around the rim in the half court 44 that's atrocious he's not a good finisher i couldn't even tell you on a lot of these if he's a good finisher because like, nobody in the nba could be finishing these attempts that, that he's taking at the rim where you know his nickname is the young bull and he's at the lower. Levels he's able to pull through guys and score over bigs at the rim, no matter who was there. And so, he's going to need a substantial adjustment to his game in that respect he also has no floater game whatsoever in terms of the percentage that he's been shooting those really poorly the numbers in isolation are not great 0.7 points per possession that's well below the median if he goes, his isos up top are pretty rough as well if he goes left it's usually a jump shot if he goes right it's to the basket pretty predictable there he's got 26 points on 51 possessions isolating up top that is uh not good in case you're checking in there i tried to do a little more research on his passing he's at 4.7 assists per 100 possessions that is pretty bad for a league guard I mean and it's not it's not like he hasn't had the ball in his hands enough like for example I looked at all the players 21 and under with under 5.0 assists per 100 possessions and there's not many guys who got a ton better I mean it's mostly really shooting guards who are in that your Monte Ellis's your Zach Zach Levine actually had more assists per 100 possessions as a rookie remember when he played a little point guard with the Wolves and it was like this is a joke that he's playing point card he's actually had more assists per 100 possessions and then james harden was in that category but harden you know his role completely changed later in his career he was the third banana behind westbrook and durant for his first couple of years in okc it wasn't really he didn't really break out until his third year so he's the outlier in that group. Very few, if anyone, who averaged less than five assists per hundred possessions as a guard prospect who became a, a real above-average passer. So it's hard to see that that's going to happen. I mean, even I, when I bumped it up to six... There were a few guys who were in there. D'Angelo Russell was at like 5.9. And remember, even then we were saying, hey, as a rookie, he is not getting as many assists as we would have hoped. But at least he's like, when he does have his assists, they're very impressive. And remember, that was a pretty shooting challenge Lakers team that he's playing on. He didn't get a chance to play a ton of spread pick and roll. And when you look at Sexton's assists, you know, there's a few kind of bouncers to the role, man. I lost count of how many times he just like threw the bounce pass to Tristan Thompson at the free throw line and Thompson took like some 12-foot floater that wasn't a great shot or he'll just find a guy one pass away right in front of him I I didn't see hardly any passes that he threw to the weak side to find open shooters for example and very few plays where he actually was able to draw help under the rim and find guys on the perimeter that passes that weren't just like right in front of him so he's got a long long way to go offensively I mean if I had to guess right now and you never know I mean some players have really really bad rookie performances at the point guard position and then start to look a lot better but I mean my prediction would be that he's gonna be not really an effective player in his career certainly subject to change for a guy this young at the point guard position but this has been a really really difficult rookie debut for him despite some of the scoring ability that he's shown
2: I only want to add in a couple of things one is Emphasizing the lack of wild plays, that's really concerning to me on both ends of the floor. Like those as passes, as shots, and also just that he hasn't been particularly effective in transition. You think, okay, the Cavs' talent is bad and it's not on colin sexton i mean very few rookie point guards especially young ones would elevate a team this bad but you know okay in transition you have some guys that can run the floor sexton himself has physical advantages on a lot of different point guards in the league not effective as a scorer not effective as an assister and i do think that he will benefit from superior talent at some point we don't know when that juncture will be you know kevin love coming back certainly does help but yeah i you don't read anything in early and i'm sure some people will take solace in something like like De'Aaron Fox, who was really rough by, like, RPM and those types of stuff last year but I saw a lot more from him both as a prospect and in his first year you know like okay this is what's going to get better and he benefited from you know the Kings figuring a lot of things out but I saw more you know more kernels last year with him than I do with Sexton
0: yeah uh, that's an interesting comparison and Sexton only has five dunks this year De'Aaron Fox has a lot more size and length than Sexton Fox had 22 dunks last year he's got 27 this year he does have that just run it down your throat in transition and much better defensively as well and much better vision also much better finisher at the rim let's turn to the bulls here
2: let's do it the bulls picture looks a lot rosier right now than it did before they are 16 and 44 six and eight since the last 15 and 60 they are still 26th in net rating 29th in offense, 22nd in defense. They're up to 23 projected wins, which would put them 13th in the Eastern Conference. I think it would put them f- the fourth worst record overall yet because they're still worse than the, the worst projection than the Hawks. And worth noting before we get into the questions that Otto Porter missed the second half of that shocking at least to me win over the Boston Celtics due to a lower leg strain and Porter as we record this is listed as questionable for their game against Milwaukee on Monday.
0: Lowry, Markkinen had a career high 35 points in that Celtics game and encouraging performance from him because a lot of those were self-created plays it wasn't he had some pick and pops late but a lot of it was getting down in the post against guys high low action where he'd get the seal on someone like Tatum shooting over Tatum a couple of offensive rebounds some transition plays off the dribble like really the variety in which he was able to score in that game was very encouraging
2: I don't know if you saw it but one of my favorite place that Markkinen had in that game was he got into the lane and Horford was on him and Markkinen just he made a tough shot over a really good defensive possession and a, a strong defensive player of course and Al Horford and I was really excited because the touch on the shot was really nice I mean he's had this series the only I think the only non 20 and 10 game he's had in his last seven he had it and then they took away one of the rebounds after the game the official scorer changed one of the credited recredited yeah. one of the calls
0: well uh, amazing how many rebounds he's getting now that Robin Lopez is starting for the Bulls yeah it's funny funny how that works uh
2: but yeah a lot of really positive signs though from Larry Markkinen
0: no to be sure and the Bulls five and four in their last sign I depending on who you check with either the number one or number two offense in the NBA over that span I and mean, considering their 29th overall that's a uh, pretty remarkable Zach Levine also had a huge game against the Celtics as well but let's get into the questions here got about five minutes left as we prattled on here does the recent acquisition of Otto Porter change the Bulls need for a small? forward of the future no I don't think so I think Porter is a totally solid small forward you know I don't think they need to feel like they fill that position in free agency in fact the whole point of the trade is now we don't have to fill that position and overpay in free agency we'll just get someone who's overpaid instead but you know Porter is an effective player so that shouldn't preclude you say from drafting someone that you think is going to be good if that's the best guy at that position but porter can play some at the four or you know you always it's good to have guys with size on the wing so yeah that is not a huge position of need and uh so no i don't think that needs to be a huge priority any longer uh what else we got here
2: should the bulls look to draft a point guard like john ja morant or Darius garland or sign a vet rubio Collison, rose they do have a, a young core and so i mean if if they are in a position to draft a point guard and there's somebody that they they like. I definitely would not take Chris Dunn as a reason to stop from doing that. But I would still, considering where they are in this process, go best player available. You know, maybe within the same tier, you can dance around perimeter needs a little bit. And getting a, a vet, if they can find somebody that's in a reasonable price range, you know, especially if they can get the years right, they they might as well go after it. I, I mean, I I don't think Dunn is the answer there long term. And there are a fair number of point guards this year, and so we could see somebody gets squeezed and Chicago has less you know, financial flexibility now because they, they traded for fraud Porter That was their choice. Basically it's kind of, you could treat him as a free agent signing is, is one way of interpreting that trade. So I could definitely see that as a possibility. Now I do not, ex- I would expect the draft pot- path to be more likely just because if it's the best player available, you can just take him rather than signing like a Ricky Rubio type guy to go over Chris Dunn. But that is to me the most central way to make this team better. If they want to be competing in the near term they need a better point guard
0: yeah i think that's right and but that guy needs to be able to shoot as far as i'm concerned like, that's huge because a lot of the impact of Markinen's shooting is going to be muted if you have a a point guard who can't shoot. And Dunn can't shoot. I mean, he's regressed, I think, if anything, from a shooting perspective. At least Paxson had some encouraging comments to say that, yeah, we're not necessarily counting on Dunn as our point guard of the future, that that still remains to be determined. How many rotation or better caliber pieces are the Bulls away from being a playoff team? What are those pieces? We'll start there. They need some capable backup bigs. Robin Lopez is going to be free agent Felicio has really been an atrocious contract from the moment essentially that it was signed they do have Denzel Valentine coming back next year they've also got Hutchison I'm not sure I'm counting on either of those guys to be a quality rotation piece next year as well Wayne Selden restricted free agent maybe they could bring him back maybe he could get there and you know you might say if we got Valentine Hutchison and Selden we'll hope that at least one of those guys can come through as a backup wing Dunn maybe could be a backup point guard but you need another one so really I think the big things they need to me are a starting point guard and a backup big probably a more traditional center pipe someone along the lines of robin lopez but in addition to getting those rotation pieces they just need the guys they have to stay healthy and continue to improve if markinen levine wendell carter can come back next year coming off that thumb surgery porter is more fully formed but maybe he can take a little bit of a step forward in a larger role if those guys can all make incremental improvements and you fill those rotation spots yeah i could potentially see them competing for the playoffs next year i mean getting porter i do i was critical of that move i do think it ultimately could limit their ceiling as a team but it is a just such a massive upgrade to get a real small forward even if a guy who's not a huge stopper it's a pretty big upgrade they got to get a lot better defensively though I mean with Levine you know Markinen is not a plus at the four Carter maybe can get there at the five but he's not there yet Porter is pretty average and uh all right we are out of time but you want to do one more very quickly
2: yes from Big Beef can a front court of Zion Markinen, and Carter Jr. fit together at all if you play two of them at a time absolutely I mean (laughs) yeah If you, not if you're going to play the three of them together, but that group, then you're basically saying, okay, the best two, you know, make it a Thunderdome. The best two of these guys do, and then you play the third, don't really need to have a lot of depth there. I mean, and the upside of those three guys together, I mean, it seems pretty damn good that you're going to get at least two starters out of that group.
0: The Charlotte Hornets sit at 28 and 31, six and seven since the last 15 and 60, 15th in net rating at negative 0.1, 12th on offense. And 21st on defense, projecting to be out of the playoffs. Actually, by only one game behind the Orlando Magic per 538, 44% chance at making the playoffs. And right behind them, the Heat are projected at 36 wins and a 23% chance. So with the Wizards falling out of it, looking like a four-team race still for, uh, I'm sorry, a five-team race for the six through 10, uh, in the six through 10 spots in the East, I guess those last three spots in the East playoffs. Where do you want to start with these guys?
2: I don't think we're going to take the question super rigidly from Daniel Hoyle, but what do you set the over at under at for wins the rest of the season? He posits 9.5. I would have it a little bit lower than that, though the question was asked I probably earlier in the week. And something that's really shocking about their schedule, I mean, there are a couple different things about Charlotte's schedule, but one of them that I think is, is most notable is how few games they have against the absolute dregs. They have, you know, we'll see what Memphis looks like and all that, but... But they those true blue bottom five teams, I think they only have like a total of one game against those teams. And that's one game against the Cavs who have looked meaningfully better since they got Kim Love back. And they don't play. They play Cleveland at the very end of the season when Cleveland actually might be trying because there might not be as much of a difference in seating or things might be locked in outside of that game against Cleveland you know they're Memphis and and New Orleans and a couple things so they're going to be getting teams that are trying and I think they're going to go I'd set the over under at like eight and a half and I think I'd go under
0: yeah and certainly this is a team any game that Kemba Walker misses due to injury and you know he's been pretty durable but you know he could miss a game or two and they're done in that game basically I mean unless they're playing someone really bad and they're at home uh the Hornets do have some tiebreaker advantages they're seven and one against the three teams that are behind them in the the standings, although we're not necessarily counting the Wizards as having much of a shot at this point in time, and they could still win this season series with Brooklyn, that would be a big deal. But yeah, I mean, the schedule is not set up great for them, it doesn't set up great for Brooklyn, but Brooklyn uh, has a little bit of an advantage of them so far. If the Hornets re sign Kemba Walker, is it possible to do the contract in descending dollar amounts? If so, wouldn't that be smart? Oh, yeah, if, if he would be willing to sign that contract, absolutely. But if he even if he starts at the max a five-year deal descending... By the maximum 8% per year, that would be for reference, the most he could get on a five-year max would be 189 million at the current projected cap estimate of 108. If they just kept it flat, starting at 32.7 million, that would be 163.5 million. So you're you're going with 26 million less there. And then if they did the maximum possible descent, now you're down to 137 million. So you're looking at a over 50 million difference between the maximum decline and the maximum raise and then if you're going to do that maximum decline now you're actually less over five years than he could get on the four-year max from another team, which would be about $140 million. So I guess he probably would like to stay there, maybe, but a lot of good teams are going to come calling. Certainly if Kyrie Irving doesn't go to New York, you have to imagine that Walker, as a New York native, would be the Knicks' secondary target as a running mate for Kevin Durant. So the Hornets, I think, are really going to have to come correct with, if not the five-year max, very, very close to it to get Walker. They'd love to descend it, but they probably you run the risk of insulting him and you also just run the risk of letting him go. I mean, now I think both of us would agree that in a purely dispassionate world where your goal as the Charlotte Hornets is to win an NBA championship someday, you would not sign Kemba Walker to that contract, but you know that's not necessarily what the goal is in Charlotte.
2: I'll disagree with you a little bit on the structure of the contract for a very Practical reason, and that is the luxury tax. Charlotte has a lot of money on their books, some positive, some less positive for 1920. Like Bismack Biyombo is obviously clearly negative, and so if they can save a little bit, then they might have to sacrifice a little bit less, whether it's giving up assets or signing players, and then after that the opportunity cost they're not really a free agent destination i would say even with kemba walker they're not going to be there so yeah it might suck a little bit more long term but i don't think that matters as much to them as it does to another team so I, i you know if michael jordan were willing to pay the tax then that would be the smart smart way to do it but i would try to make the team as good as i can for as long as i can
0: well so what exactly is the disagreement then
2: I would actually have his salary, you know, let's say we agree on a number, I would, as a practical matter, if we treat the luxury tax as a hard constraint, I would have it ascend just to make to maximize as best you can the first couple of years of the contract.
0: Yeah, I, I guess this is almost the opposite situation of the Batum one, where we th- were saying at the time that he had a lower cap hold, so you're like, all right, let's start him as high as we can, and then lower him down as time goes on, because it'll make it more tradable. I mean, that's a big reason to... to it started is. as high as you can sure. to is to make him more tradable potentially uh you know like Aaron Gordon Batum they weren't really in danger of the luxury tax that first year and they've grown more and more in danger of it as time has gone on so that's why we we're like hey let's start you know pay him more now and have it go down and then he's more tradable and I don't know they would have had to descend it a lot more than eight percent to make him tradable given the way he's played but nonetheless uh okay let's, let's do a couple more here you to do that uh, lamb question
2: sure what developments have you seen in jeremy lamb's game and how much should the hornets offer in this offseason the hornets offer is going to depend a lot on on kemba walker because how much financial flexibility do they have and lamb's game i mean I, I liked him coming out of college. He has grown, and the posi- the shooting guard position is so limited that he provides some value. You know, he, this year he's not hitting as many as many threes. He had that big burst last year to thirty seven percent. That felt a little bit unrealistic to me. It's now down. He's actually shooting his exact career average. So he's at thirty at thirty four now. And what I've liked about Lamb is that he's. Gotten a little bit not necessarily this year specifically, he's gotten a little bit more comfortable with the ball in his hands. He can he can create a little bit, and defensively he's capable. You know, I don't think of him as a star on that end. He can grab some rebounds, which is a strength for a two, depending on what your lineup is. And I've also liked that generally speaking, he's improved his shot. Profile something we're seeing a lot from players that were that are becoming more efficient. Rudy Gay is a good example here, where part of it was becoming a better shooter, but another part of it was just not taking shots that were that weren't effective. And so Lamb has really toned down his deep twos, which he was never super super good on. You know, he had that one year where he shot him well, but other than that, so toning those down is a very good thing. Lamb's
0: numbers the last three years have actually outside of the three-point percentage have been very consistent. Mm -hmm. So maybe this is just something that there was a blip in his numbers early in the year, but this idea that he's taken a big leap forward this year at 26, I I haven't particularly seen it. I don't think he's really a quality defensive player. He's not atrocious, but doesn't have a ton of intensity, kind of fades in and out a, a little bit, has a lot of length, but never has translated that into the sort of production people hope for on the defensive end. He does never, ever turn it over. And this is pretty incredible. He's never had, even going back to his rookie year, he's never had a turnover percentage higher than 9%. That's pretty impressive. But his assists are down this year. I mean, there's really, you know, he's kind of been the same guy these uh, last three years in Charlotte from a statistical perspective. So my prediction is that he's not going to be back because if they do bring Walker back, unless they make a significant money-clearing move, they won't have room to re-sign him. And they've also got Malik Monk and they've got Bridges, who's more of a, bigger wing but could get some spot duty at the two as well and and if they're going to bring back Walker for the type of of money that we're talking about here I mean maybe we could see them stretch Biambo or something to create room for him but I think if they don't bring back Walker he doesn't really make much sense you want to develop those young guys there's no reason to pay him a veteran salary I think even Michael Jordan if they don't bring back Walker will finally get it they need to rebuild and if they do bring back Walker the finances become very difficult unless a move is made with Biambo or MKG or or someone like that and and maybe we could see a Bianbo stretch because as you mentioned they don't have much on their books past past 2020 there's so many of those sour 16s on their roster that they feel like pushing some of the money off into the future isn't the end of the world to me that's how they bring him back but I would be I would say less than 50% chance that he returns at this point in time okay let's move on to the Brooklyn Nets They are 31 and 30, have split their last 14 games, negative 0.8 net rating, 18th in the NBA, 17th on offense, 18th on defense. Let's start with this from Anthony Smith, Danny. Assuming that they miss out on KD, Kawhi, and Kyrie, where do you see the Nets going in free agency this summer?
2: I do not know if I have said this publicly yet. But I've been thinking for the last couple weeks, especially after the trade deadline, about Jimmy Butler's fit with brooklyn
0: yeah i've heard i've heard a couple of people talk about that yeah and that's an interesting one
2: it it checks a couple of boxes for butler that i've heard kind of you know could be possible things it's a it's a big market you know they're not it's not the knicks but they're playing in new york city and he would be the best player on that team and so that is a, an unusual combination if butler does not want to be lebron james sidekick hold on hold on
0: d'angelo russell made the all-star g- game over him d'angelo russell is it would be the best player on the team right
2: yeah Anyway, uh, Butler. Yeah, I, I think that, and and also that team. As, as much as I've enjoyed the Nets, and I think there's a meaningful chance that I would enjoy watching them less with Jimmy Butler. That they could get some of his personality. That he could be a a, a wing to help you know get that that grittiness and all that kind of stuff. And Sean Marks has had a dedication to shooting and i mean we'll see if if even jared allen can add a little bit of range to it and so that can help create a little bit more real estate for butler as well we'll see what they do theoretically if they got him at the four but yeah i think he's probably the best player who would who would seriously consider them i'm sure if if they're available you talk to chris middleton you talk to tobias harris I mean you talk to basically any anybody who can be a any semblance of a two way player who is at least close to their age range. But yeah, I'm I'm excited because the Nets I like what they are and really they can add to it as long as they don't throw bat really bad money on top of this.
0: Yeah, Butler would be a fit there though they certainly value their culture quite a bit, but they need a wing with some size who can really guard. And I mean that's the biggest thing missing from this team. And I think is this team and you also by signing Butler, you weaken a conference rival in Philly. And so if they sign Butler, now the problem is as the rest of this team is in theory growing, Butler is going to be on the decline, but you would hope that that he could maintain his defensive value, improve his spot shooting, gracefully decline. I'm saying this is a hope. Gracefully decline, even as the contract gets bigger, into what he was originally supposed to be, more of a 3 and D type of player, and still someone who can give them a place to go with some size to punish switching defenses at the end of games. So I I do think he's a, a pretty good basketball fit there. They have to find a way to get better on defense, and you know the hope is that Jared Allen is going to evolve into that. I think we could see a lot of Butler playing at the four with this team as well, which uh, could work out pretty well. So yeah, I do like that fit. But yeah, it's, it's got to be someone on the wing. You would imagine at this point, after having made the All Star team, that Butler or, or that uh, Russell is going to get brought back. You throw in his twenty one million dollar cap hold though, and you're only at twenty six million. You could maybe stretch Allen Crab and get up to that thirty two point seven million dollar max slot for. a seven and nine year experience guy and then kind of that's your team you know that's a other than your draft picks going forward a couple other guys I might look at for them on the wing Trevor Ariza Boyan Bogdanovich might be someone they would look to bring back I think Al Minu would be a nice fit there as well as Maybe a little better version, both in terms of his shooting and his defense, than what Rondé Hollis Jefferson has given them. What should we talk about next?
2: Wait, can I just mention briefly, I, I don't have any substance to support this, but I could imagine them going after Maxi Gleba if they can't get somebody like Jimmy Butler. be interesting there.
0: Yeah, he would be. I mean, that's one way, if you don't have the wing defenders, is to get someone with a little bit more size and help instincts at the four, and hope that his shooting ability will translate well enough to hold up on offense at the four which is a little bit in question at this point in time uh joel asks would you rather have d'angelo russell lonzo ball or brandon ingram this year clearly d'angelo russell not even close ball is barely played ingram you know if you want to complain about russell's efficiency which is the biggest criticism of him outside of his defense ingram's is not much better and russell is creating at a much higher level he's setting up his teammates much more so i think it's it's very clear that russell has been better this year and we'll see whether it ultimately turns out to be the case. Russell is looking good right now, whereas Ball and Ingram are perhaps at an 8-year, but I mean, I I don't think there's a reasonable argument that Ball or Ingram has been more valuable than Russell this year, that's for sure. What about in five years, Danny?
2: Oh, I mean, I agree with you unambiguously. Russell has been the best player of those three so far this year. You're you're kind of sitting here going, well, who's going to fix their weakness and so Russell I mean yeah he's not great defensively but I would say that's him being so switchable Lonzo Ball jump shot and Brandon Ingram I think there's a lot of room for growth for him on both ends of the floor it isn't as much about a specific weakness God, so much of me wants to say Lonzo like I like Lonzo the best as a player of those three but the problem is Lonzo
0: played more than half a season first
2: right that's a big problem and if he Like if he can't get his jump shot reliably, then that's just it's just a gargantuan problem. And while I like his defense at the one, that's just not as valuable. I'm gonna go with Ingram. Yeah,
0: uh, 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 over Russell.
2: Yeah, I am just because I think I think Russell. There's a very distinct chance that Russell has been better this year than Ingram ends up, but a big part of my argument is that Ingram being a, a wing-sized guy, and he really has had some nice defensive moments. That and he had like his jump shot isn't bad. He's just reluctant to shoot it, and I I think that the the idea i think he has the most god it's between him and lonzo for me of who has the most like real real star star potential and it's it's getting fainter for all three of these guys even though Daniel russell just made the all-star team but oh this is giving me this is giving me a conniption oh god
0: i think it's pretty clearly russell i mean the ingram and ball just haven't really been that effective yet um, even if russell is giving you average starting point guard play those other guys haven't even shown that yet. you might say those guys have higher upside i would like for to in addition to staying healthy hit more than 50 percent from the free throw line if you're actually expecting him to shoot well from the three-point line he could i mean there's not many guys who have shot a high volume of threes and been atrocious free throw shooters like he is uh real quick lightning round here what have you seen from shaz napier since his role has expanded could he be a second point guard somewhere yeah we're saying he should have been a second point guard somewhere last offseason and that it was a steal for the nets to get him as a third point uh why don't you take this one real quickly what should the closing lineup be once Dinwiddie return.
2: Lavert Allen. And I would say, and, and then are, are definitely in it, and then probably go. I you could theoretically play both Dinwiddie and Russell together. I think that's a little bit of a hat on a hat, you know. Not you know you kind of do whichever one of those is better. I personally like Dinwiddie against most teams, but I mean Russell's been an absolute clutch game guy more since Dinwiddie went out. He had the huge buckets at the end of the win against the Hornets, and then since they don't really have that lockdown perimeter defender, I guess you might as well have. Have Harris out there, and then
0: he's got to be out there. He's just shooting it too well,
2: shooting the ball too well, and then at the four probably probably Carroll for now i could see when dudley gets back from this hamstring issue i could see it being him depending on the game but i mean those guys are both solid pros Carroll had a, a wonderful screen i i i might say dubious legality on that russell on that russell pitch you might, shot you might. <laughs> yeah he and he and ed harris were basically like a or ed davis sorry we're basically like a, a, a blocking line but it worked so yeah, I, I think that's probably what I would go with. And then, you know, you've, you've talked about how the dividing line between Dinwiddie and Russell is really about the opposing team's defensive tact and personnel. And I'm fine with that being the way for the rest of the season. Well, the Nets have taken a major
0: step forward this year. You can take a major step forward with your wardrobe with Everlane. They actually opened a bricks and mortar store. My buddy was talking about how ridiculously popular it is because it's a couple blocks away from his house in San Francisco. And I was like, oh, well, they actually, uh, Everlane happens to be a sponsor. And he's like, well, what's so great about them? Like, why are people just like lining up at this store to get their stuff? And I'm like, well, because their stuff is awesome. And you're never going to overpay for the great quality that they provide it. I think also people really seem to like the profile of the company because they tell you their real costs. They're totally transparent about every step in their process, materials, the factories they work with, their essentials. I really enjoy just the basic stuff is such high quality, looks good. My wife helped me pick out some of the stuff from back in the summer before we went on our honeymoon. Went for a little shorter shorts than I normally would go for as a, a child of the 90s, but she liked it and uh let's face it her opinion on my fashion matters more than mine does at this point in time so uh but i think it actually really worked out and again i was just very impressed with the simple quality that they provide whether it's japanese denim italian made leather shoes they've got outerwear made from recycled water bottles go check out their stuff at everlane.com capspace cap space because we talk about cap space all the time in the program you get free shipping on your first order and you can check out our collection at everlane.com slash cap space once again everlane.com slash and don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us all right let's move to the celtics here
2: boston is 37 and 23 they are 9 and 5 since the last 15 and 60 plus 5.9 net rating is third in the nba they are 10th in offense fifth in defense and 538 projects them to win 52 games, which will put them fourth in the Eastern Conference. A quick injury note, Aaron Baines is dealing with a left foot contusion. He could still be out a couple more weeks. They're being very cautious with him. I think that is a, that is a good idea. They have other options at the position, especially now uh, Horford is, is playing and... I don't think they're going to do, you know, maybe they'll do some kind of rest and maintenance and all that kind of stuff with Horford, but they can survive that anyway. So we'll see where they go. I want to, I want to get your input on this first. I have my own thoughts, but I I want to start with this question from Matthew Barisi. If Kyrie Irving leaves, should the Celtics proceed with Terry Rozier as their starting point guard or look to upgrade?
0: Oh, that's a tough call. You've mentioned this before, which I thought was an astute observation that if Irving leaves, that could actually depress Rozier's market because teams will just, assume that the Celtics are going to match whereas if Irving stays they'll think that they can pluck him and they'll probably be right the Celtics if Irving were to leave and this is such an interesting situation now much would depend on what happens with Al Horford if he also were to opt out and leave I mean then you're just in a totally different situation as a team you're probably just building around the younger guys that you have so Let's say no Horford, no Irving, no Marcus Morris, no Rosier Capold. Now you got 23 million in cap room. Yeah, you could go out on the free agent market and try to find like your Eric Bledsoe or, you know, Jeff Teague if you were to opt out or Ricky Rubio will be available. Guys of that ilk to come in and be a starting point guard. And I think in the interim, those guys would be an upgrade on Rosier who struggled much of the year. But Rosier as kind of an off ball point guard, solid defender, I think he's a decent fit with this core going forward and maybe Horford opts in but then he would certainly be a free agent next year I think with the aspirations that this team ultimately has I'm not sure that Rozier at a 15 million dollar or more number is the greatest use of space I think a lot of it though is going to depend on how Gordon Hayward looks this offseason or after we see what's happening the rest of the year and in the playoffs he showed a few signs here but has a lot further to go if you feel like he is worth that 33 million and 34 million he's making the next two years and that he can take a major step forward next year even without Kyrie maybe you re-sign Rozier and you try and go for it again if Horford sticks around then you probably really do have to re-sign Rozier because then you're going to be over the cap and you're not going to have a way to replace Rozier if he leaves and they do need something at point guard they could in theory play smart there but I think he's really more of a secondary ball handler on the second unit so if Irving leaves then i think it really matters where you're at with horford as well uh so that's my long-winded answer to that question i think if horford leaves yeah you might you might try to depress his value and get him on a a value contract and maybe spend a little bit more money elsewhere like his cap hold is going to be pretty minimal at nine million so maybe you bring him back with that small cap hold and you could still add another significant piece as well but i don't think he's that good i don't think you want to pay him you know top 15 point guard type of money he's not that type of
2: Where you ended up is where I want to start, and that's Terry Rozier, if he is the guy leading your offense— your offense isn't going to be that great, at least as of the way he has played so far. This season, when Rozier has been on the floor and Kyrie Irving has not, the Celtics have a 106 offensive rating. That is 23rd percentile in the league. And remember, a fair portion of those minutes are with Al Horford on the floor, both when Kyrie Irving has been out. Like, this isn't, you know, him playing with a bunch of scrubs. The Celtics are also one of the deepest teams in the league, and they have while they had a lot of adjustments to do and everything else, he hasn't been able to elevate the Celtics really in, in, in any form that I consider meaningful. Meaningful moving forward. He does have some intrigue defensively, but that's not his job. You know, other people need to be able to do that. So there is a a world where you keep Rosier anyway just because the his value is depressed so much and you could basically keep him as a backup point guard, even if he's not super thrilled about that. But I think you need to go after another solution if your goal is to win in the near term. And I mean Boston is has so much other talent that you would go in that direction. The the Problem, though, with that and why this is such a challenging question is because they don't really have a ton of other options because unless they go that crazy mass departure route, they're really looking at more of like a mid-level exception type guy and I think they could get somebody who fits in better with the Celtics in the kind of the near and long term. I think they could get somebody better than Rozier or at least that I'd be more comfortable with because they could do a short term thing or something else, but there's no guarantee of that, not by a long shot so that'll be tough, really tough A quick one from Michael GB Are there any buyout options that could help Boston? I don't see any now that the big guys are off the board and remember that the Celtics are a super deep team so breaking into their rotation much less their playoff rotation is a pretty damn big ask.
0: Is Marcus Smart's improved shooting for real? The probably correct answer is I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> now, his usage is down. Just watching him, it seems like he's not taking as many bad shots. This year is at 38% on 3.1 catch and shoots per game from downtown. A year ago, 31% on 3.0 catch and shoots per game it is worth noting that this is one of the first years where he's had a full season without getting injured so maybe you can say that's helped him get into it better rhythm but i would say that this big of a surge generally there's some random noise involved in it i haven't seen a ton of indication in the numbers that the quality of his shots is much better his usage being down helps i think and they've also had more guys on the second unit where he hasn't been pressed into service quite as much as a creator so i think part of it is the better looks part of it is him being better and part of him is is random variation. I don't really know how to parse all of that out though, frankly, and to be clear, he's only taken 257 three-point attempts this year and he's hit 35%, whereas last year, 249 and he made 30%. And his rookie year, same number of attempts, just about 34%. And he has other years at 28 and 25. Overall in his career, 30% shooter. If I had to pick between where is his true ability, 30% shooter over his career or 35% shooter this year I'd say he's probably right about in the middle of there you know that's uh, teams are still going to make him prove he can make him in the playoffs. I think is ultimately what it boils down to
2: it's also bizarre that smarts free throw percentage has varied largely independently of his three-point success. Like, his best free throw shooting season was the year that he played full-time, you know, the year the other year he didn't miss time in 16-17. He was 81% from the free throw line and 28% from three. This year, 35 and 77. So it's just kind of weird. Like, I mean, he's been a solid free throw shooter.
0: Should Al Horford opt out? I mean, we'll take this really quickly uh, from Papa E. In terms of just the offensive numbers he's had- Having one of the better seasons of his career was dealing with the knee tendinitis which I think has been bothering him off and on hasn't been quite the same defensively but he's had some moments as well you noted that he's the number 10 center in RPM 38th overall in PIPM in the NBA he's due to make 30.1 million for next year so this is another one of those opt out and hope for the longer term deal see if you can arrange that ahead of time I mean, He's seemed incredibly happy in Boston you haven't heard any buzz about him potentially opting out and leaving so if there ever is a chance for this opt out and take the longer lower annual value deal this might be it but again as we mentioned those are kind of tricky situations and it's hard to see another landing spot for him isn't it
2: it's brutal i mean because there are so many teams that have cap space but do not have a particularly strong need for a center or just might be targeting other things yeah. like
0: well you could see a team just say hey we'll play him a power forward
2: yeah i mean I and it's possible that but and it's possible if Boston trades for Anthony Davis that they'll be playing the two of those guys together. Yeah, I mean that's how you want to parse that is 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 an open question. But I mean you look at it so like so. Dallas, they just got Porzingis. They probably. I, mean, I think
0: there's some some landing spots. I don't think there are that Dallas? many. What about Dallas?
2: Well, see, I, they just got Porzingis. I mean, I think that you could I mean, see Porzingis I think he and
0: Porzingis together. Like, there, there's, you know, I think that'd be a, a that'd be feeling. fascinating. No, I, I mean, there's, and he does have a lot of versatility. But yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot of ways that this could go for sure. I mean, even a team like the Knicks. If they strike out, you know, if they get KD, but they don't get that second max slot, maybe they offer Horford, you know, a shorter term max deal for like, you know, two years with a partial guarantee on the third year or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think there would be a landing spot for him.
2: My concern, and the Knicks might be the best example here, is that would there be a team that is convinced that Al Horford is the guy who pushes them over the top? And that's the easiest way for a guy to get paid. And maybe the Knicks, if, if the other options, I would guess that they would go more in the Kemba Walker point guard direction than Horford. But maybe Kemba resigns, you know, get, get into that. And I, I don't see I've got Sacramento, to pass me let's one say. For you okay
0: atlanta and it's really huh. there's there's a lot of these teams that kind of you mentioned dallas like that have these sort of 4.5s already but maybe you could just play two 4.5s together especially with Horford's shooting ability i mean atlanta's got 41 million in space what the hell are they going to do with it that
2: maybe. would solve that would it would solve a lot of my concerns about john collins that's for sure oh man that yep. that would be such a huge upgrade for them
0: I, I mean and even brooklyn too i know they have jared allen but maybe they could start horford at the four try to get better defensive that way, I mean, I think there's—he's such a versatile player and such a good locker room guy. I think he would have a market more, and would have more of a market to me than he—he he would move far up in the pecking order to me compared to like a Demarcus Cousins or like a Nikola Vucevic, those type of pure centers. I think he would be well above those guys. All right, let's finish up with those aforementioned Atlanta Hawks. Their fundamentals, please.
2: The Hawks are now 20 and 40. They are six and nine since the last 15 and 60. Had a couple of nice wins in there. 27th in net rating. 26th in offense 28th in defense 538 projects them to win 26 games which would be 12th in the east and the fifth worst record overall they are not going to make the playoffs and we got a lot of unsurprisingly we got a lot of john collins related questions and i want to start with the one from stefan ever is there a path to john collins being a starting four or five on a finals team collins is still really young i mean that's it's you know, always something like the john collins that we're seeing right now would have to get a lot better but he's 21 years old 21 year olds get a lot better that's what happens and so he has been potent as an offensive player I think that some of the positives that we've seen from them are also just the lack of suitability of his replacements and substitutes that he he is so much better than the guys that are that are would otherwise be on the floor that it makes the Hawks work in a way that they could not earlier in the season but I don't trust Collins defensively and like either really as a, you know, as, as a center, you know, the kind of traditional spot in any of the key roles. And then with the four, he has to be maybe more of a switch guy or a help defender. So when you're getting to that type of a level, I think that he would be attacked a lot and the surrounding talent would be so good that what he brings offensively would still be useful for sure but it would be less useful than on a team where the hawks are right now
0: this is one that's interesting but i don't really know the answer to if the hawks got the number two pick do you think it'd be possible to trade up to the first pick presumably zion williamson by packaging the number two overall pick the number 10 overall pick and john collins i guess it would depend who got that number one pick and what they were trying to do with it i really have no idea to be honest i i couldn't even begin to tell you how some of these teams would value R.J. Barrett. He's actually been playing better lately. Versus Zion, how how these teams would value John Collins, what they think of the 10th pick. It's an interesting conception. That certainly seems like it's uh, quite an overwhelming offer in terms of value, just to move up one slot. But you know, maybe that is what people view Zion Williamson as being. Do you have any assessment on the Hawks essentially replacing Daniel Hamilton with Jalen Adams? I actually saw some things from Hamilton that I like. I, I kind of saw him as that slithery skinny guy someone in the Pat McCaw type of mold the three point jumper was a a concern but Hawks University has had success with some guys like that less success with others but I I liked his defensive ability I liked his length very skinny I I thought he actually had some potential Adams to me it shows some very small flashes in summer league of quickness and and shooting ability another question we had from Turkey Jones was will the Hawks unleash point doesn't look like it at least based on in their last game against Phoenix, Adams played 14 minutes and Young played 34. So that's all 48 minutes for you right there. But it's something that I think they should try to experiment with. So I don't know, we'll see what happens with Jalen Adams. He's been in their system for a while here, but Hamilton is someone who flashed to me a little bit more than your typical 15th man, whereas Adams, you know, he's really undersized. All right, let's finish it up with this Alex Len question. I mean, that's really, you know, you got you gotta finish up uh three hours worth of podcasting with a question on Alex Len.
2: The question from Dylan Connolly is: Has Alex Len shown enough improvement on the Hawks to warrant a multi-year contract? Well, he's already got a multi-year contract. So next year they did it descending, which I, I am a firm supporter of in this specific context and most contexts. So he'll make four point two million next year. Len has had a better a better season than expected, and he's twenty five. So. You know, you could see him get better, but I don't think it's... You just say they're going like, oh my god, he took this kind of leap, he's going to do it again. So, I, I mean, I still think that's an overpay considering how many centers are available, but it's not a horrendous one. And the opportunity cost for the Hawks specifically isn't that egregious. I mean, we'll see what four, an extra $4 million in space could have gotten them in terms of an asset, but they still have enough to make kind of whatever move they want to do if they want to do a cap space focused move. So I don't think it'll be too big a deal for them. What is he good at again? I mean, he's been solid defensively for them this year, I think. Has he? What, what
0: evidence is there of that?
2: I mean, he's positive in terms of PIPM defensively i think
0: his well but isn't like every center positive <laughs> in terms of the on off metric what's well, true
2: his block rate well no he's he's a pretty solid not not amazing this year incidentally defensive rebounder um I mean, he's not great, but I think he's okay.
0: Yeah, I I mean, I think he, the three-point range thing, 32% is, yeah, it's kind of okay. He does create a fair number of shots, 22%. His finishing around the rim, to me, is poor, 62% for a guy his size, and they play with a fair amount of spacing, like the the way he's getting set up by Trey Young. He will blow some pretty easy finishes. The offensive rebounding helps a, a little bit. I mean, I think he's been a part of some really nice offensive rebounding groups, but He's a backup center. He's not a close to a starting level player, but for 4 million, you could do worse, but he's also someone I think of as being highly replaceable at this point in time. And I, I definitely haven't seen him make many, like if he's right in position, he can have a lot of size, but I haven't seen him make much of a difference defensively, admittedly playing with some very poor defensive players next to him. Alright, I think we can wrap up here. Want to thank our friends at Sonos for supporting today's show. With their home theory, you'll feel like you're at the game with surround sound and it plays music too. enjoy hands-free control of your whole system with sonos one which blends their amazing sound with amazon alexa so you can use your voice to control music podcasts and more go to sonos.com to learn more and order your sonos products today that's sonos s-o-n-o-s.com
1: at bet365 we don't do ordinary we believe that every sport should be epic every basket every game every point every play